la. <laughs> eventually, eventually Somebody's we might run out up. of people. Well, eventually yeah. we might run out of people that even get the reference if anybody does get the reference. Although we do generally, we have an annual festivist now. So I would think people would kind of get the homage to Seinfeld. But anyway, guys, hello. It is Monday night, generational change. I'm Jen. I'm Peter, and I will not get to I will not stop doing the voice. <laughs> no, he will I will. So either. it's either me or it's either you or the voice. Yes. You have to decide. Yes. Can you do that? Yes. <laughs> What's your answer? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> so it's President's yeah. Day. It is. And I Who's I, your favorite president? I don't have one. I think I they're all war criminals. Ah, uh, whatever. Um, I, I don't, have one that's relevant. yeah, I know. And, and I'll, don't let me get Margaret Kimberly on your ass to tell you, read you the chapter on what he did to the peoples here. Well, my favorite president is Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah. Um, Let's talk to the natives about that guy. And we certainly, well, yeah, no, no president isn't without his flaws. Uh, I, I think what you call flaws again, I just like to even say I have a favorite. That's like saying, what's my favorite venereal disease. That is such a bad comparison. No, it's a perfect comparison. There's yeah. not one that would be good. That's so, my point. That how you. do I have a favorite of, of nothing that I've ever seen is good? Thank you for the donation. <laughs> I hope you like that one. Although I can't really say, uh, I can't really say that I do much in the way of Seinfeld. No, no, we don't. But I do. We have. We definitely have our references. We have got a lot to cover tonight. Yes. Uh, obviously, we know about the anti-war rally that happened the other day, which I actually slaved myself through for over an hour and change, which was a lot not, to take not, not me. Not Jen. No, that's why, you know. Jen's this was on Saturday, yes? Son, yesterday. Oh, it was yesterday? Yeah. What was yeah. I doing yesterday? I don't you know. You weren't at the Lincoln Memorial. I no, no, I wasn't. I am very anti-war though. Yes. And sometimes people need to learn about who should be the messenger of the anti-war message. Maybe. Dennis Kucinich. He's good. He's really good. He's, he's, a, he's a good he's guy. He's really great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's a so, good guy. But of course, we know what the main topic of discussion is these days, and we are not letting it go because it is the centerpiece of so many things that come together in our society. Uh, you know, the train derailment that happened in East Palestine. Thank you. Say it right. There are people here who will know that. Uh, well, you didn't until I corrected you and you looked at me and you're like, well, then is it Palestine? And I'm like, no, it's Palestine. Like you were thinking, just whatever. Go I ahead. insist on being contrarian in I some know. instances. East Palestine. But the importance of this story is that corporate media and the powers that be want to sweep this under the rug as fast as humanly possible. That's actually, I think, giving that credit to some extent because that's sort of like saying that they even acknowledge it. Forget wanting to sweep it under the rug. They just wanted to pretend it didn't happen. Did you notice it got, other than people that we know, like Jordan and people on in the independent media, you wouldn't have even known this was a thing. And it happened February 3rd. Yeah, well. Like, think about how ridiculous that is. It, so obviously they were like making it go away. I, I will even admit that when I found out about it, I thought it was way past, uh, you know, I, th I thought it was within like the first 24 to 48 hours. And it turns out that as much as I pay attention to things that go on, I didn't know about the train derailment until about five days after it happened. Yeah. So the idea that they were successfully able to keep this under wraps to the extent that they did is kind of scary. And then you hear yeah. the stories uh, that I'm sure Jordan Miller will be able to share on is uh, share with us is uh, you know this idea that they were basically trying to prevent journalists from going there and covering what was going on, as if to say, you know, we don't want anyone talking about this. This is supposed to be kept quiet, 
so don't discuss. But we all know it's extremely relevant. So that just makes me want to discuss it. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm that person. I can't they, even. They call good, it. Good. Tell me not to talk about something. I swear it's like going to be the first topic of conversation. Well, they call it the Streisand effect. No, yeah. I call that me just being completely like obstinate. You know what I mean? But okay, whatever. so we're contrarian for the sake of being. <laughs> yes. But that is only because we give a damn about working people. Yes. And, you know, we obviously care about people that live in parts of the country that for many people, they would rather just forget them. Yeah, no. they don't We've exist. talked about it before, but now we actually have people on that know really a lot more about it in particular. We are very pleased to welcome this evening uh, two members who know very much about what it's like to work on the railroad, what it's like to support railroad workers and to fight the railroad oligarchs. And if there is ever a time to bring what has happened over the past several months to the forefront, we are now going to have an opportunity to really get the goods on what's going on, not just in East Palestine, but also get to the heart of what really counts in this country. Corporate special interests like Norfolk Southern that are completely bought, have completely bought and paid for our government and why things never get done on behalf of workers. And as Bernie Sanders, who we will address later, just penned an article in The Nation with John Nichols, anti-worker capitalism will be the death of us. It will end our, it will end our system. He's been a little too defensive of, of Pete, um, Bernie, in my life, to my life. Fair enough. And and I, I don't appreciate him making a comment saying that, well, he wasn't the driver, you know, as if somehow the driver was responsible. You know, I don't know. I just, I I was not pleased that he was sort of like, you know, presenting exculpatory evidence. When Bernie is just talking about the primary issue and not defending the democratic establishment, he's much better off just staying. To me, if you're going to defend that that rat face. If you're going to go after Governor DeWine, and rightfully so, you should, you got to go after Peaches. Is it DeWine or DeWine? We'll find out. (laughs) Our first guest that we're going to bring in is the treasurer of Railroad Workers United and knows a thing or two about Norfolk Southern, and I have no doubt will be able to speak at great length about what's going on. Hugh Sawyer, welcome to Generational Change. Uh, thank you for having me uh, this evening. And I'm, as usual, as a normal railroad worker, I'm completely worn out. And uh, <laughs> I'm having, sure. Having had a 14 hour plus day uh, that ended uh, this morning. That's just unbelievable. We're going to get into that. Kind, Thank you. Know, you. Kind of the norm. But yeah, nevertheless. It's, it's, absolutely. Yeah, it's absurd. But we could not have supporters of workers without having someone who can cover exactly what is going on there. And the local affiliate in East Ohio is coming on our show now to discuss exactly what is going on. You mean like a real reporter? Yes, real reporters <laughs> do exist. Real <laughs> grassroots journalism. Jordan Miller, welcome to Generational Change. Hi, how are you guys? I appreciate you uh, taking the time. Absolutely. Are you with Are you with a small like what What do you say is with the publication there? Is that where you are? Do yeah. Share. Yeah. So I'm an independent journalist. Uh, I work at some NBC affiliates here in Ohio uh, for a while, uh, and I've been out of that for about three years. And I've been independent, but I host a radio show in Canton, Ohio, so about an hour away from East Palestine. Okay, very cool. And our panel would not be a complete panel at the moment. We may have another guest, but would not be complete at the moment without our returning friend and somebody who is definitely uh, a for us. So now we've got we've got two more, so this will be fun. Okay. Uh, but he ha- was a wonderful guest the first time we had on Railroad Workers United. He has been at the forefront for many decades working on behalf of railroad workers. Matt Weaver, welcome back to Generational Change. How is everyone? Thank you for the opportunity. You're giving me far too much credit. 
No, 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 no. You guys are out there busting ass. And we have somebody else here. This is very exciting. Look, the more the more of people that know what they're talking about, better, because that makes me have to talk less. So more people. We are pleased to welcome one more member of Railroad Workers United, Marley Taylor. Welcome to Generational Change. Mary Lee, right? It's Mary Lee. Yes. Yes, correct. All right, I butchered another name. <laughs> I just happen to do every so often. But you have a really good radio voice, so you do the intros. But yeah, the the name pronunciations. Are well, something. that's why we're a team. We have to. It's like playing tennis. You gotta, okay, so you it's know. Palestine. Go Palestine, ahead. Palestine, and I did not. I mean, I did not mess that up this time. No, I did the first time. Uh, oh, double, double K. K. We, we love, love you. you. Thank you very much. So, whoever would like to take this from the top, because. There are a lot of conflicting stories about what actually transpired in East Palestine, why this train derailed, what was actually in those cars, why there was a controlled burn, why that only exacerbated the problem. That's way too many. That's way too many questions. So so who's the be- who would be the best person to give the background on what happened in this particular derailment? Oh, come on. I defer people. to brother you. Brother okay. Sawyer. <laughs> I'll, I'll be glad to give you my conjecture, and I know I'm not supposed to do that, but we actually do, I think, know what happened. And because uh, we have seen videos of a wheel bearing that was on fire for 20 miles. So, uh, Norfolk Southern and all the railroads have wayside detectors that we have replaced human beings with. Uh, we don't have men on the cabs, the cabooses, who actually looked ahead at these. Uh, uh, trains and looking for these problems and what have you. So uh, uh, what we don't know is, is what failure there was with the detectors, but um, you know, uh, a bearing just doesn't go bad and the train derails. It happens over a period of time. So we had a train barreling along. It goes over a wayside detector every 20 miles or so. Sometimes it's 10, sometimes it's 25 and uh, that detector will come on the radio and tell me, or whoever, uh, hey, there's no defects uh, uh, after the train passes over. And it's looking, it's got infrared secret, uh, uh, sensors and other things that can detect dragging equipment and so on and so forth. And, um, um, and it'll either come out and say no defects, or it will say uh, alarm. And uh, tell me if I have a hot wheel, which is typically a sticking brake, I'll get an alarm and, it'll, you, you know, and you pull the train on across and then stop. Uh, um, if I get a critical alarm, which is typically with the hot box, which is what we had here, a failed bearing in the journal, uh, uh, I'll, it should come out and say critical alarm. And, uh, and you stop your train right then and there. No ifs, ands or buts. And, uh, uh, and send somebody back there to go look at it. Obviously, a detector did not pick this up. Up until, as I understand it, just moments before the derailment, the detector in East Palestine, the steam, sorry, um, <laughs> uh, did detect it, but then, you know, it was too late. And, uh, you, you know, the train derailed, the, the wheel fa- failed, and uh, the train derailed. And, and essentially, that's what's happened. Now, this train, like, Many trains had hazardous materials in it. Um, I watched the first press um, briefing from the uh, local government, the mayor and the chief of police and the fire chief, and they admitted, uh, uh, this really stood out to me, they admitted that, hey, we know what's 
chemicals are on board this train. That's because the train crew gave them the manifest to that train. And, you know, we're, we're set up to immediately report and, and hand over to first responders. Here's the manifest. Here's what's in this train. Here's what you need to know about. And uh, but then they refused to tell at the press briefing what the what was on this train. They said, "Well, we don't know what's on fire." Well, who cares what's on fire and what's not? <laughs> we care about the hazmats and and you know should people be evacuating and so on and so forth. So that's what happened. There was a failed bearing. Um, it wasn't picked up. Um, you know, probably because of PSR precision scheduled railroading, where we've cut manpower to the bone. And I believe that we've uh, cut these detectors off or at least detuned them. And, um, and you have the disaster that you have. And it's a failure. I have since learned just by reading since this instant that the FRA has no oversight over the wayside detectors. There's no mandate apparently for them. There's no mandate for servicing them or, or what they should be tuned to detect and how sensitive they should be. So that this is a failure, not just of the railroads, but but of the government regulatory uh, agencies that are supposed to have oversight over the safety. Yeah. And yet they've been having record profits, right? Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. All the railroads. So they're having record profits. And this is one of those things where it's just cheaper to not maintain things. Yep. It's cheaper to just not. And and yeah, that's the, one of those things that's just pretty um, clear. I mean, Jordan, if you can hop in. Um, <laughs> Would obviously love to get your thoughts just on what you've seen on the ground. Um, we are very uh, friendly with uh, Jordan Chariton at Status Coup. I know he has a couple of guys on the ground there now, uh, but it, it looks pretty devastating from afar in terms of what has happened there and how this level of contamination uh, could stretch for hundreds of miles potentially. Uh, they're talking that it could be the biggest ecological disaster this country's ever seen. And yet, it seems like they're really trying hard to sweep the sun. Yeah, back. yeah. I, I they're open about what's happening, but they're also not saying everything that is happening. Right? We know something major is happening. Uh, you know about it because you you read reports about it. But I believe that there's so much more that we don't know about. Now, I'm not into conspiracy theories. I'm not the person that's going to sit here and say that that this uh, accident happened on purpose. Because I, I know that's making its rounds on social media right now, but it is devastating. And I'm not sure if anyone else on this panel has been to East Palestine uh, since this train derailed, but this is a very, very small village. And where it went off the rails at, you couldn't have asked for a better place for it to derail because there were no buildings around, no structural damage, but had it gone off the rails a mile and a half prior to where it went off at, there were gas stations on each side of where it could have gone off the rails at. And if that happens, East Palestine isn't a village anymore. It's wiped off the face of the earth. I would argue that that's happening anyway, because when you contaminate a place for so many generations and their people are being poisoned, you're essentially eradicating them. I'm sure like this is like Flint, Michigan to me. Um, and so, you know, it's just another example of it. I, I, and they have non-independent sources testing things. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I will not believe it until it is give a test done by someone who doesn't have anything to gain politically or financially. And that's the only way you'll be ever, ever able to really trust results. And I asked Congressman Bill Johnson today, I spoke to him for about 20 minutes 
on my radio show, and he's um, a big name here in Ohio. He's been on the ground in East Palestine uh, for the last week or so. And I said, Congressman, I know that you got about $18,000 from Norfolk Southern. Are you going to take any more money from them? Or what are you doing with that $18,000 that they gave to your campaign? And he told me, well, I'm not using that cash anymore. I'm actually donating it all right to the East Palestine Fire Department. But I do feel as though there's a lot of uh, independent sources that Norfolk Southern is bringing in. You know, Norfolk Southern, they're bringing in sources to do testing for them. Of course. Those people, when I was in town on Saturday trying to speak with some of the contracted um, testers, they couldn't even talk to me. They said, if I speak to you, I will lose my job. This is the number that you have to call. I call that number, and then they the number I call, they tell me, sorry, this isn't the right number that you should be calling. You need to be calling this number. And it's just a, a circle. You want to see people working and pumping out the water and, and testing the water. You want to be able to ask them questions about what's going on. But it feels as though we're not getting any answers when it comes to that front. <laughs> Mary Lee, if you could jump in, uh, they are, <laughs> we've seen these situations happen before. We saw what happened with President Obama going to Florida in 2016, uh, testing the water and saying it's fine. We are seeing a similar situation now where oh, the corporate God. powers that be are insisting that everything is now fine in East Palestine. Everyone can come back. There's no problem. Uh completely disregarding the ecological contamination that has happened. Uh, it seems like this is a pretty serious issue that is only going to get worse and worse, but it's not like we haven't seen this story play out before. Well, may I jump in here? Yeah, yeah, it's for you. Uh, uh, I'm having a little trouble with the audio, so I'm missing a little bit of stuff. It's breaking up, but it's probably my poor uh, technological abilities. But one thing that I I think is important is that literally thousands of people's lives in that area have been destroyed. It's an agricultural area. How many of us buy anything that was grown in that area? Not me. So uh, the whole question of people's lives, the the continued uh, physical and mental uh, troubles that are going to occur, their livelihoods, the entire life of the town is is dramatically and inexorably altered yeah. for these fellow working people. At the total callous disregard of the railroads would have mowed over any opposition or any truth from coming out if it weren't for the workers and the citizens of the communities bringing up these uh, issues to the fore. It's not unusual for them to just plow over a derailment and call it good. They got the trains running. That's really all they care about. And now it's up to us uh, collectively to really keep the pressure on them to, to have the truth be more and more out there for people and to reach out to our common allies in this struggle, environmentalists, I just read a, a personal account of an environmentalist, and uh, he was going over just shock, just it, traumatic for him. Never, you can read it, but when you see it, it it, it just shows the devastation uh, 
and the neglect of the railroads. Now, could this have been prevented? I think absolutely, 100%. They refused to, to invest in the infrastructure that's necessary to run these hazardous materials safely. I also just want to add, I think rail is the safest transportation, potentially, for any kind of uh, chemical, for the bomb trains, for the crude oil, it is potentially the safest, but the railroads have made sure that it's not safe by refusing to invest in the infrastructure, by cutting jobs, including those who inspect the tracks and inspect the detectors and make sure they're working, and just uh, doing what all the railroads have and why we were on the verge of a strike in September and why we wanted to strike, the question of safety for ourselves and our, our fellow workers whether they work on rail or not, in our communities that we run through, that we live in, many of us, uh, that the railroads go through. So I, I just want to say, if it weren't for the, the strong will of those affected by this derailment, immediately affected and broad in a more broad sense, we wouldn't be hearing too much about this. It would be covered up totally. So I, I, I think this is, I, I want to thank you uh, people for putting on this uh, uh discussion because it, it's just absolutely important for us to get out the truth about not just what happened, but why this is going to happen again oh, and yeah. again. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it'll keep happening. And Matt, you can definitely speak to that because you were part of our panel uh, prior to the midterm elections where we discussed uh, the significance of having a President Biden versus a President Sanders and who was going to side with the workers versus the oligarchs. Biden chose to side with the oligarchs, and now you have this Shocking. devastating circumstance that has befallen upon people, not just in East Ohio, but in parts of Western Pennsylvania, Northern Kentucky. It is a serious, serious problem, and it's only going to get worse and worse unless there is a major stand made right now. Although, as we obviously uh, you know, have people in the chat pointing out, uh, the president is not even in the United States at the moment much less in East Palestine. Uh, this is a very serious problem, and I don't really see an end in sight. And while we are constantly distracted about the riffraff in politics, this is the real stuff that matters. Yeah. This is the stuff that affects everybody's daily lives. And lo and behold, Norfolk Southern is a major, major donor to both the Dems and the GOP. Absolutely, and that was the private chat, was the article about the donations to DeWine um, if you guys have seen, it's very frustrating because, you know, I, I'd like to demand that our regulators begin to regulate public servants, start to serve the public. You know, we, we can do better. And these, these examples, uh, the Obama era regulations, they were, um, watered down by us and then eliminated under Trump, you know, they could have had effect here. And, and we really had suffered the consequence of, um, unlimited campaign finance and lobbying to the and the people just are not being heard and real labor is suffering because of it. Yeah, something that's also really frustrating from our side, from the political side, is that even representatives that aren't on the corporate bill still did not stand up for labor. And the fact that they all just sort of fell in line 
And nobody was, it, it was very disappointing to me. And this, this is, this should not even be a partisan thing at all. Like, I don't even know why we're, why it's even talked about that way. Because again, one side, it's like the argument between DeWine and the argument between Biden. The, the, the goal of the two-party duopoly is to see who is going to be holding the bag when the lights come on. It's like, is it going to be the Dems? Is it going to be the GOP? They're all the same. They don't give a damn as long as they're not the ones blamed for it. Just like you've got people running cover for Pete just as much as you've got people running cover for DeWine. That's how this works. And all the while, workers get screwed and oligarchs keep getting fatter with cash. Something else I wanted to say to Mary Lee, when you were talking about the the rural, the farmers, this is their livelihood, is that people think, oh, people could just leave. Well, you could just leave. And there's people, they're like, um, our friend Jordan interviewed a guy who has a, a fox rescue. He has like an animal rescue there. And there's stuff, and all the animals are sick and having neuro damage. And, you know, you can't just pick up and go. Like, that's not like, a, it's just, this is crazy. Oh, it absolutely is. It, it's absolutely crazy once you get a, a picture of the scope of this. Imagine this going on across this country, 3,000 miles from coast to coast and from the Canadian border all the way to the Mexican border. These types of, of non-investment, not taking care of the safe operation of the railroads are, it is going on across the country. Many, many derailments don't get uh, publicity. There are hundreds of derailments every year including that these kinds of dangerous chemicals. And yet these alleged regulatory agencies, and I, I truly mean alleged, I do not feel that the FRA has regulated anything. I think it's absurd that you have a rule for four years and then you don't have a rule for four years. Like the, the, uh, uh, the brakes, the uh, electronically controlled pneumatic brakes, which would have... I think undoubtedly helped to mitigate the disaster that this was because it's a far more advanced braking system that the railroads have been promoting at least since 1994. When I know the BN did, they had a whole setup in their engine training place in Kansas City, Overland Park. They were proud of it. And then when it began to uh, the whole entire railroad industry turned toward the PSR model. All that was uh, thrown away in this almighty quest and competition between what is now seven class one railroads for shares of the market, for profit, for greed. And all that stuff went by the way. It's insane that in a country you can have a rule that changes every four years on something as dramatically as important as the safe transportation of commodities via rail. So I think we everything is on the table, not just the politicians that didn't, that from neither party, neither of the two electoral parties stood up for rail workers. They're not gonna stand up for safety. They're all gonna be yapping quite a bit right now because their feet are to the fire. Our job is to put more than their feet to the fire to demand that the rail companies be held accountable for the entire PSR model and the scourge that that has been placed on working people from rail workers to our brothers and sisters in East Palestine today. 
and in Lac Megantac, Canada, and I, I butcher these names, so I apologize if I uh, pronounce things right. Uh, the bomb train that exploded there, the town was decimated, just blown up off the face of the earth. These are the issues that we need to come together on, fight together as in common to put our own perspective forward. Uh, RWU has, has uh, begun a campaign to raise the ideas of, of the railroads being publicly owned, to take we, we already know the railroads cannot run the railroads because they run them based on nothing but profit. But we have to convince the American people that what we need is to take it out of the hands of these profiteers and put it under a democratic, my opinion, elected body that has to be open, transparency, open books, open meetings to see what, how to move forward on creating a more safe environment for rail. Uh, not some, I, I just think that we're, we've been doing it for many years, trying to hang our hat kind of on, on a regulatory agency that has refused, quite frankly, to really regulate anything, anything well, in terms of the railroad. Yeah, and again, the reason that they do not get regulated is because they are massive financial contributors to both major political parties, exactly. particularly to the Democratic National Committee and the Republican National Committee. So to say that they go right to the heart of how all of these representatives get elected all throughout the country, uh, that is a very serious part of the problem when we're thinking about, well, how are we going to change this? You know, stock buybacks are legal, which they shouldn't be. And that's one major issue that can be addressed here. But aside from the fact that to me, it's pretty obvious that the reason why Governor DeWine is saying what he is saying is because he wants Biden to catch the heat for this. But Biden's doing a great job on his own in terms of how he's handled it. But the fact that so many people have come to the defense of Pete Buttigieg, who has been a disaster in so many ways, not just because it was, it's been a succession of things. He's been put in a position of power that he had no business being in, in the first place. And oftentimes he's elected positions. If you know of the person who's running it in government, it's usually not a good thing. Like you shouldn't know necessarily who the secretary of transportation is because oftentimes if you're hearing about it, it means that that person is messing up on the job. He's messed up several times already, and yet right now, what does he do? Rather than making the suggestion that we have to take legitimate infrastructural change towards the railroad industry, much to the mistake that was made regarding how President Biden handled this back in the fall. No, he's saying, I'm going to write a strongly worded letter to Norfolk Southern because that's going to change things. <laughs> and if, if, if you don't mind me jumping in here, guys. Please. Please. Um, I've been on the ground in, in East Palestine, and I've talked to people, and and I'm asking, you know, what could be done that makes you feel a little bit better about this? And they said, we want to know why the current president hasn't been here. But more importantly, we want to know why Pete Buttigieg hasn't been here. It took 11 days or so before he even acknowledged what happened. Right. And, and that was in, in, a, in writing in some form. What's happening in East Palestine is a shame. But there is the, this tension as always, between Democrats and Republicans. But this is one of those things now where they're going to turn an unfortunate situation into a political uh, pawn. We have Donald Trump coming in 
on Wednesday. It's well, going to be really great. It's going to be incredible. I'm going to do a great job. Yeah, and then and we all know that that's just for a, um, a in my opinion, it's just going to be for a photo op or, or whatever. He's a civilian. He's like the the six of us sitting here right now. He, he's no different than that in his civilian capacity. He just so happens to have a big name and and a big pocketbook. But a lot of people are concerned that Governor DeWine didn't ask for federal resources sooner because he said in a press conference last Wednesday that Biden and him had been uh, in personal phone calls. And Biden had said, if you need any federal resources to let me know. Right. And, yep. and DeWine it never called him until he got backlash for the next 36 hours. And then Friday morning, we get a notification that he's contacted uh, for federal resources, the Department of Health, uh, the U.S. Department of Human Services. <laughs> They're going to be coming down. But at the time, Ohio wasn't eligible for FEMA. And now people are wondering, why didn't DeWine declare this to be an emergency? Political cover. But you know what? I, I still think that this is one of those things that if Biden wanted to handle this, he can handle it. I don't buy into the fact like everybody's going to pass the buck. But ultimately, that's all they're doing is going back and forth. If either person cared to handle it, they could. Why are we so thinking a president is so powerful, but then they can't seem to do anything? Somebody explain that to me. Why, why, okay, I want to jump on this one. Please. I mean, why in the hell? Does DeWine have to ask the federal government? Look, yes. you watch your TV, you see this huge disaster. Yeah. Why in the hell wasn't everything, you, you know, headed toward East Palestine yeah. uh, 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 to, to help out there? And uh, Pete Buttigieg has no qualifications to be the head of the Department of Transportation. I mean, it was just a political appointee. And he's, I mean, he has no background for this or anything that I can tell. And, uh, um, but it's a failure of a lot of, I mean, the EPA spent days before they came out and said, here's the major chemicals that were involved. Well, it turned out the ones they didn't tell us about were super bad stuff too, you know? And, uh, to, to me, it's been an utter failure in, on the government side and of course on the railroad side. Uh, that allowed this to happen. And this is a great example of why we should look at public ownership, but there's a lot of moving parts with regards to that. And we have got to completely revamp the FRA or at least the safety component of it, separate it out from the rest of the FRA. You need a safety department in the government that is not It's not also the booster for the in industry and so on and so forth. So, uh, um, there's a lot to be learned here. Guys, these de derailments happen every day, oh, oh, every oh. other day or anything, every day. You know, you bring up a really great point, Hugh. There are apparently upwards of a thousand derailments that happen every year. We just saw the other derailment. It couldn't even wait two weeks. There was another derailment of a Norfolk Southern train up in Detroit, not that far away. Uh and again, we had, we had another one here in Ohio uh, in August. There was a, and it, it was a huge derailment. Yeah. Thankfully, there wasn't any fire, but it was 15 minutes down the road from me here in Stark County, Ohio. And you would think at this point, uh, one of the things we're huge advocates for on our channel is high speed rail. Uh, when 
you have the Democrats bragging about their super corporatized infrastructure bill. If you're not passing a 21st century infrastructure bill in the tens, if not hundreds of billions of dollars that doesn't involve a high-speed rail system, I don't want to hear anything about what you think you're doing, because clearly whatever it is, it's not anywhere near enough. And if our concern is competing on a global scale, especially with China, the idea that we don't even have any high-speed rail, not even test tracks from places like Boston to Martha's Vineyard, just something as simple as that. We can't get from West Palm Beach to Orlando. Yeah, like you can't, there, there's there, we are so far behind at this point. It's it's getting scary, and who is going to step up and really start advocating that point? But from from my perspective, I believe from your perspective as well, and I would share from from your guys's perspective, we need a comprehensive labor movement in this country. Yep. Like we really do. And if that's this exactly. Exactly yeah, what I was exactly what I was just thinking. We need a labor party. Let's get back to the 90s, the 80s. Where's the how do we build this up? How do we stick together and use solidarity for the working class to have our voice heard? That's what we're working on. I mean, that's ultimately what we need to do and obviously we're big proponents of labor and I can't help but think that a lot of the issues that they're having right now with the, the derailments at the level that they are are things that would probably be able to be resolved if they would negotiate with their with their labor and and actually treat people how they're supposed to be treated and spend money where it's supposed to be spent. So this is it's not rocket science. Other, you know, other places and there'd still be some accidents, like I'm sure there's still accidents, but there just seems to be a very de minimis effort like in this whole process. One of the things that we have seen, uh, for those of you who are tuning in for the first time, or for those of you on the panel who may not know, uh, Jen ran for Congress in 2020 against Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who's about as anti-labor a Democrat as you can get. And one of the biggest issues that we dealt with when she ran was the stonewalling that came from the very top. You see, the labor rank and file really liked her and wanted to support her, but the labor bosses saw it otherwise. Well, how do we properly deal with the fact that there is, much like in a major corporation, a difference in philosophy between the rank and file and the bosses? Yeah. From your perspective. Well, well, okay. This last presidential emergency board, this last contract negotiation, proves your point. The 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 union leadership was completely out of touch. Didn't even ask the rank and file people, what do you want me out there? They really have no clue because they're not out there working on the rail industry. And the rail industry, when they were working, bears no resemblance whatsoever to what's out here now. And that's what's I hope is going to be exciting for this next uh, contract negotiations is the rank and file have, have I've never seen them more united across the different crafts that they were pissed off. And um, um, these guys asked for nothing, and therefore we, I mean, really, and we got nothing. Yeah, and sick days was, I think, a last-minute uh, little thing for the union leadership to grasp onto. They asked for 15 paid sick days. The railroad said no, and they said, oh, okay, that's okay. Uh, let, let's have 15 unpaid sick days and the railroad said no to that so uh but but that's just one tiny issue uh that, that's not addressing our work cycles i'm 65 years old and i'm telling you they have beaten me to death 
and uh, 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 you know, physically and what have you. I'm 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 ready to drop Ted right now, frankly. Well, don't we need? Oh yeah, I'm not going to. But uh, uh, still, I mean, there's no schedule or whatever the stupidity out there. If we have time, I'll just go ahead and say I was in this very situation. Uh, 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 with my train the other night, I went over to the detector. It said no defects. Wayside detector people came on and told me, "Hey, you've got you, you've got a, a car that needs to be inspected six times back." And one, and they told me to get with the dispatcher and make arrangements. I didn't do any of that. I just stopped the train right then and there and sent my conductor back there. And we had a a, a failing grease seal on a car, and we set that car out. But uh, if they'd had their ways, I'd have gone another 20 miles down the road and what have you. And uh, you just, you know, in my case, I was able to take the bull by the horn. But this stuff goes on every day. And the train ahead of me, by the way, same thing. They went over to the detector, no problem. And then somebody's calling them up on the radio because they're monitoring the detectors. That's why I think they've detuned them or turned them, you know, where they won't say anything. And then they call you up and say, hey, you know, stop when you can and draw your brakes down or something to that effect. And uh, this is ridiculous. Brother Sawyer, I had, I had someone from UP ask me if I had heard that has a defect detector, a hot box desk that goes through them before the crew. So it's not announced on the running channel. It comes through private information. And then they decide if it's serious enough for the train crew to deal with it. That's kind of scary. Yeah, it's very scary. And sometimes they're sending the word through the dispatchers. You know, there's a chain of command, if you will. And I know in one case uh, uh, where the the dispatcher forgot to tell the train that, hey, Wayside needs you to stop. And they burned the brakes off of two DP units. These are locomotives toward the rear of the train. And, um, you, you know, 40 or 50 miles down the road because somebody forgot to, you know, instead of letting the detector do its job and get on the radio and say, hey, you've got uh, Hot Wheels uh, uh, on axle such and such. Um, the, 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 it was a prime example of a failure of communication that's unnecessary, frankly. And, as, and especially when it comes to trains, your job should be the safest job. I mean, you're talking about transporting passengers and transporting cargo, transporting goods. Toxic chemicals. Well, Toxic I mean, chemicals. Well, we can have an argument about that another time. One thing that just came out last week, and and uh, Governor DeWine in Ohio, he wasn't happy about it. He re- revealed it in a press conference, and he said that he found out that they never reported that the chemicals that were aboard that Norfolk Southern train that derailed in East Palestine almost three weeks ago, they never uh, informed anyone that it was hazardous. It, it was uh, was not labeled as a hazardous train. It was not labeled as a hazardous railway. I mean, you think you have to have a certain number of hazardous uh, material cars in your train before you know it reaches a threshold where they'll call it a, a key train. I mean, I I tell you, it looked like the end of the world uh, when that fire happened that Friday night uh, yeah. when it first derailed. Um, and that, that's why a lot of people weren't happy. You, you find out at least five of the cars have vinyl chloride in them. Uh, they tell us 177 pounds of vinyl chloride. And that's why people were really upset 
in East Palestine and all throughout the state and the country that this wasn't deemed hazardous. I'm I'm like actually just still reeling from what Hugh said. So if like to me, if there's one car on a train that is hazardous, then it's hazardous. How do you like that could be the car that derails and spills in someone's yard. So like, how do you, that's really interesting. So there has to be a threshold of how exactly hazardous a train is before it's labeled hazardous. Is that, I mean, am I understanding that? Well, each car is labeled. If it's a hazmat car, it's got decals on it, just like you see on a tractor trailer hauling the hazardous materials. <clears throat> and we've got it on our manifest. And I do know that that first pro um, um, press conference, they said, we know, the mayor said, we know what's on this train. We're just not going to tell you. And that's because the train crew handed over the manifest. I'm sure that's what happened to the first responders. Said, here's what we got, guys. And uh, uh, and here's we tell them exactly where they are in the train and all this sort of thing. So, I mean, there are procedures. And we do have, um, you, you know, when we have a hazardous material car, we have a printout that tells us who to contact, uh, uh, what what that chemical is, how far away should we evacuate people, you know, what the hazards with that particular car is and what you sh how you should be responding. That's why it's important to get it to the uh, fire chief in particular uh, tends to be the guy that handles uh, hazardous material spills. So um, uh, there are there are procedures, but. Um, I don't know. I mean, we've just gotten lax. And yeah. I think yeah, I was going to say, Jordan, what, is he lying? I mean, is, is DeWine lying about that? Like, so right. I don't understand how he's saying they don't know what's on the train when clearly somebody knows what's on the train. It, it's it's yeah. not so much that they're saying that they don't know what's on the train. It's saying that this was just never reported as a ha hazardous, uh, a hazardous train. It, it it wasn't reported as that, and I, I I'll have to go back and find the audio clip from Governor Dewine last week. But he said that has got to change in Congress. I'm calling on all of my congressmen, senators, representatives to find out why did this not have to report it to the to the officials as a hazardous railway when it had all okay. of these toxic chemicals on it. Okay, you meant from, like the entire line is the. Whole, from the information I have, that's been that was watered down Obama era by Congress. So they they were going to instill in some electric over pneumatic brakes and classify the whole train like that, and on by lobbying efforts from the railroads. And then in the next administration, it got eliminated. Kind of what we're facing is how strong campaign finance and lobbying is. I mean, yep. we're talking millions of dollars that are going right into all of the all of the politicians' pockets. That that's why they're treading so lightly when it comes to this. Uh, like I said, one congressman, Representative Johnson, said he's donating the money that he received from the railway. He's going to donate that all to the local fire department. Well, if he's going to do that, why hasn't Dewine, the governor, stepped up and done it? Why why haven't we seen any of the other local and state politicians? Uh, announced that they're going to get rid of the money that they received from Norfolk Southern. Really well, what difference does it make if they give it away to whoever? Yeah. 
that they're still passing the laws that are favorable to the carriers. Exactly. You're putting a bandaid on a, you're putting a bandaid on a gaping wound. That's what you're doing. Well, and no, the key thing is, so, okay, he gave that $15,000 donation or whatever it was to people, but he's still suckling at the corporate teat of whatever other organizations or like, if you're taking corporate money, you're taking corporate money. And to sit there and say, well, I don't take it from these people, like our Congresswoman, she's like, I don't take NRA money. No, you just take Raytheon, Northrop Grumman, like payday lenders and all this stuff. But when you're allowing that, you're allowing that type of corruption. Period. And, That's and, we, and we had some. We had a friend of the show in the chat tonight, basically constantly posting about the fact that the, the Trump administration had taken uh, a, a regulation off the table for railroads back in 2018. And all I'm thinking is, yeah, one of many that have been taken off on both sides over the course of a lengthy period of time. This doesn't just happen overnight. And the Biden administration was in there for over two years. Yeah, I was going to say dirtbag. They haven't fixed it. They haven't fixed it. They had the opportunity to fix it. And especially because this all came to the forefront during the fall when there was the threat of the strike. And everyone wants to point to the seven sick days, which is incredible that we even have to debate such a ridiculous thing. But that wasn't the crux of it. The crux of it is. We're, we're not paid well enough. We're overworked and our work conditions are drastically unsafe. And absolutely, absolutely. from where nope. I'm where I'm sitting, I'm thinking, why? Because this isn't sexy enough. So let's do what corporate mm. industry and corporate media always does, which is let's crap on workers, talk about how ungrateful they are that they actually want sick days. And then even Bernie. Well, Pete wasn't driving the train as if the driver is somehow responsible. For and then the life. best and then the coup de grace, of course, is the very comfortable <sighs> liberals in the suburbs basically saying that Biden had to stop this because he would have he would have they would have shut down the country. And I'm thinking. Yeah, they probably should have shut down. Please the do. How do you, how do we support rank and file? How do regular people support rank and file? Because I, you know, when this went down and you and you were just basically thrown aside, I like what? How do we get to where rank and file takes over? How do we do that? Well, through the Railroad Workers United, that's what we're working on, mm-hmm. and uh, we're trying to get these thirteen different unions to work together. Uh, uh, being a bargaining coalition, which, by the way, we were successful with. I mean, for the first time, we had 12 of 13 unions in a bargaining coalition. But the second the Presidential Emergency Board recommendations came out, everybody was released from this bargaining coalition. They went their own way. It's insanity. However, we got a great opportunity. Next January, the next contract negotiations open up in the form of being able to serve Section 6 notices. And this time, we need that the, the the unions need to the, the the rank and file need to instruct their leadership. This is what you're going to get us, and then and you're not going to take three years of screwing around to do it. You sit there, you 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 put out a reasonable section six notice. Uh, the carriers come back, they put out theirs. They say we're not going to negotiate with you. You don't screw around anymore. Get start the process. Let's get on strike. And yeah. let's do it this time. And maybe we, the rank and file, will have to show a little guts, too, and go on strike whether or not it's legal or not. And uh, and if we're so important to the economy, $2 billion a day or whatever, then what in the hell is 14 or 7 or 2 sick days got to do with anything in the big scheme of things? Right. It's the damnest thing I've ever seen. 
It, it's all about getting the the railways, keeping them running, right? Yeah. Why? Well, as soon as soon as they did this chemical release on Monday, they did this chemical release on a Monday. Wednesday is when they lifted the mandatory evacuation order after all of the toxic chemicals went to the sky two days prior. When they lifted that evacuation order on Wednesday, a train went through within five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And the mayor was wow. pissed because he said, Trent Conway said, I was under the impression that they weren't going to send another train through this community until my residents were back in their homes. And the fact that we lifted the the um, the evacuation order and within a five to 10 minute window, they were back up and running was ridiculous. And that just shows at the end of the day, it's about the bottom line. Yep. And it is important. I mean, the movement of these chemicals and all the freight that's on the railroad, I mean, we're a critical part of the logistics network here, you know, the worldwide global logistics network. And, uh, you know, the economy can shut down in certain places almost immediately if we quit running. So uh, that's uh, why uh, they've got to get that rail back open and they're going to run trains. They don't care about some town in East Ohio, I can assure you, because we're, we're federal regulated. They don't have any say so in what we do. So. Just in time shipping. That's just in time shipping and taxing warehouse goods. That's why that is. Yep. You know, on a, on a personal note, I believe that train went uh, two and a half miles north of my home. Um, and then I was in Newcastle, Pennsylvania, uh, offices for the railroad. And on Friday, I am going to meet Aaron Brockovich out there and uh, bring it together. So I, I will be representing Workers United. So everyone should go to railroadworkersunited.org and follow them. Uh, get on and plug in. Get that newsletter. Sign up for that newsletter. It's really good. Yeah. I mean, we need to show up, people. We really need to show up. Like, you know, if anybody who lives near where there are any sort of worker movements and strikes and such people, we really need to show up. Um, I think it's so important. And I'm very appreciative of, of all of you. And I it's very upsetting to me that this is how people are treated. And it's just, um, and I can't stop thinking about the dead fox. Like all I can see in my head is the picture of the dead fox. Like I'm cursing Jordan about this. Yeah, and it's always easy for people from the outside to have a difference of opinion that isn't suffering through this right now. You can imagine uh, just how devastating it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jordan, I'm sure you've communicated with plenty of people. Uh, Their lives are never gonna be the same again. And and that's, and that's the saddest reality of how we just do not care about working people in this country. We see them as an expendable commodity, regardless if it's in deep red East Ohio or deep blue Flint, Michigan. It doesn't matter what political party you're in they at all. Care. They don't care. About if you, you don't have resources, you're just you're just another brick in the wall. If you will. <laughs> that's it. And the sooner we realize that it is about corporate special interests capturing our government. That is the issue of the day of our lifetimes. We're never going to get out of our own way. Stop electing corporate whores, people. I'm begging you. Easier said than done. But what can we do as civilians to help what you guys are doing? Is there anything that we can do? Well, Well, anybody that's- Talk with your, your neighbors. Go ahead. Go ahead, you. I'm sorry. Talk no, to no, your neighbors. 
talk to yeah. your fellow workers, talk to your church. Every this affects everybody in such a fundamental way that is that hasn't happened in recent history in the in the United States itself. There are people are willing to act. Uh, there's demonstrations. Go to them. I saw people just from uh, East Palestine carrying signs on a street corner, pictures that they put in different articles, protesting the fact that they're home has been turned into a toxic dump things like everything every church that can make a even a a uh, letter and print it in a newspaper reaching out to just normal everyday people we come into contact with has been very helpful and reach out to your to your local uh central labor council whatever that means whether it's state level or local level and try encourage them to get in a fight for every single one of us, uh, rail workers as well as residents and uh, citizens of these areas. So I think there are many things we could do, and certainly one of the most important one was already raised, which is to stay up on top of this by following RWU uh, website, which has the most up-to-date and the most clear uh, articles to explain what's going on. It's not rocket science here. Yeah. Uh, the, the major media would like you to think it is. It is not. Uh, every single one of us can explain to you how the railroad works. We know how it works. We know how the brakes work. We know what the situation is. It's not rocket science. It's something every single working person with a Grade school and eighth grade education in reading or eighth grade level of reading can certainly understand. And the and that that means all of us can understand it and all of us can be a part of figuring out what the next step is. So I, I think uh, channeling the anger, including towards this alleged regulatory agency of the FRA and the Transportation Department in the cabinet, begin to marshal some forces to Keep screaming. We should never be quiet. We should do like, I, I agree with what John Lewis said, make good trouble. Let's all get together and make the good trouble and reach out to everybody that we can to bring the force necessary. They're never going to change on their own. Neither the politicians nor the railroads. They don't understand persuasion. They understand power. And that's what we have in, in the Ross foreign possible. We have the numbers. We have the power. We create everything in this country, those of us who work, and we can stop everything in this country. We need to begin to think about that. Especially since so much of our industry has been decimated and completely destroyed, especially due to things like NAFTA and normal trade relations with China. Workers need to recognize that even our, one of our greatest presidents in FDR, Ugh. you know, he always said, make me do it. And that's a person who actually cared about working people, but he understood the limitations of what the government would be able to do. And so today, here we are looking at a circumstance where it couldn't be more obvious that workers need to unite. And if they do, there's no telling how quickly and effectively we can change things for the better in this country. 
We cannot thank you guys enough for coming on the podcast this evening. Matt, you had a final thought before we go? I like that. I have uh, one is that there's working class, there's donor class, there's politicians. Trains like don't run through the donor class backyard. We need to think about that. We need to stay solidarity for working class people. Could not have said it better. I, both of us. Very appreciative. Be, and cannot thank you all enough in all of your respective areas of what you guys are doing. Did, Who says something? Did somebody say something? Oh, no. Thank you, Matt. Oh, yeah. So, and we'll keep talking about this. Like, we, we continually cover labor. We continually cover this issue. And, you know, it's just too important. And, and it certainly isn't for clicks, I got to tell you. Although, apparently talking about Pete Booty Judge will get us some clicks. So let's say his name a few times. And no, we'll I think talking clicks. about what we're talking about here <laughs> is extremely important. Yeah. This is the real news. And for anybody who is involved in independent media who's going to see this, we're not asking for credit. We are just asking <sighs> you to not we, – we are a channel of – uh, just under 8,500 subscribers. We're small but mighty. We, we we do not have the platforms that a lot no. of other ones have that Please. could be talking about this on the regular Please. to making it more and more, you know, it's, it's like you got to hear it multiple yeah. times before it really sinks in. So if any of you on any major network sees this tonight, please, for the love of God, reach out to these individuals and figure out a way to spread the word about Railroad Workers United as well as the work that Jordan Miller is doing in East Palestine. It is very, very important. Yes. And this is real world scenarios that are affecting people in their everyday lives. That is the importance of this panel. That is the importance of what you guys do. We will always stand on the side of labor. Matt Weaver, Marilee Taylor, Hugh Sawyer, Jordan Miller, Thank you guys so much for being with us this Thank evening. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you for having us. Bye it's guys. our pleasure, guys. Have a great evening. And you know what happens to me when I'm telling you, I get all fired up. I have to put on my vest. I feel so, I'm like, I'm livid. First of all, how crazy is that, that the only way that the entire train or the entire rail is considered hazardous other than, okay, the labels on one particular car is if there's a certain amount of it. Like there has to be a certain amount of toxicity, people, before we'll classify something as such. Like, I got to yeah. tell you. No, it's true. It's absurd. If you guys enjoy our content, oh we certainly goodness. hope that you do. And obviously a number of At least hit the too. like button. Please smash that like button, subscribe, subscribe, share, make sure everyone can see this. But if you really like what we're talking about, do not hesitate to go over to patreon.com forward slash generational change for as little as $5 a month. You can support our Small But Mighty podcast. Help we are small. Contribute to certain causes that are very important. All of our money goes to, well, okay, I can't say all anymore because now we yes. are starting to throw a few dollars at the people that do our video work because now we're getting a few dollars. Yeah, if they only learn to work for nothing. Yeah, like us. Um, yes, $10 a month will get you the, everyone $5, actually $5 a month is getting everybody the Lulu sticker now because I've reordered. But $10 a month, if you guys watch Status Quo News with Jordan Charity, He's got one he under it. It's under it. No, I thought it's over. It's underneath well, now the United under. Corporation well, now of it's America. Under. Well, okay, fair enough. But they represent the United Corporation. But if you're wondering, and guys, and the reason we, this is our candidate, we're choosing to go with Manchin and Parliamentarian for 24 because Joe Biden is convinced that these are the people that are so powerful as to why we can't get anything done. 
So I think that's who we should go with for president. So Manchin, if you are so very generous in considering becoming a $25 super contributor to our Patreon. <laughs> you got the Tri-Blend Awesome Silky Smooth t-shirt. You know, you want you one. You make it it's creepy. Really it's not. It's wonderful. It is. Guys, really you get incredible. the really cute Gen Change jersey. It's a baseball jersey. And it fits like silk. And it says, here comes the sun. It is really cute. It is. I know. It is. I designed them. But <laughs> if you do not want to stick your credit card information on our, well, put it on the grid, as they say. So what we, do, honestly, what we do with the money is our money goes to community service stuff. I do yes. everything. From, I mean, we contribute to local people that we know, um, food distributions, whether we do, I do um, hygiene care packs that I pass out mm -hmm. to the unhoused populations. I mean, just different things where we can serve is where we put that money. And it's, you know, we will occasionally donate to non-corporate candidates that we, you know, that we support. Um, but for the most part, it's all service. Yes. Transforming politics into service is our motto. Yes. And we certainly hope that those of you that do see this. We did send $50 to the guy in East Palestine um, with the fox farm. I'm telling you, I can't get the fox farm out of my head. Well, anybody who like is just, suffering loss I right can't. now, but especially those for their animals, it's. How Again, are they? They have, can't leave. I don't like. It's one thing when it's just like, yeah. Oh, if come you're on, people, they could just get a better job. And get no, no, no. Run. And even if I were willing to acknowledge that people can leave, when you've got farm animals, what are you like? You can't leave. They're stuck outside. They're stuck. Like I just, it's killing me. If you would like to chip in via Cash App, which is a little bit more desirable for most, and again, the idea is uh, to get the most bang for your buck. Cash App, dollar sign, Gen Change. We would certainly appreciate any contribution. Now, of course, we do have one final story we are going to cover. It is very important that we cover this because Lord knows somebody's going to be making it. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I'm feeling a Bernie thing uh, happening. So for those of you who know- uh, I don't like Senator, what he said about Pete. Like, I'm really not pleased with him yeah, about he's that really, at all. That's just- First of all, you, you, you could say nothing about yeah, it. Yeah, you which could. Which is also really bad, by the way. But the fact that he sort of like relinquished- Pete from responsibility just is not okay with me. Yeah, I, Bernie, I, I don't know what you think. He's not your friend any more than Joe is, Bernie. No, they're not your friend. Not. Definitely. And they're sure not. as shit not our friend. No, they're definitely not. So the good And so I, while I will criticize Bernie, apparently there is a very good article that he just did with um, John Nichols, also friend of the show, um, who is also another actual journalist. Well, look. I'm, I'm glad to be here, Jen. Hi, nice Bern. to see you. That's a good, that's a good, uh, that's a good vest you're wearing right there. Thank you. But I thought it would be very important that I write a very important article regarding anti-union capitalism is wrecking America. There's no question that it is. If we do not have a stable labor movement in the United States, we will cease to exist as the greatest nation on earth. You would agree? Of yes, capitalism is wrecking America. I, well, I, I actually brought in that. I actually think it's imploding the planet, but you, you know, continue. Well, I'm going to read a few pieces from my wonderful article that I did with John Nichols, who I know is a friend. He's been on the show. Yeah. Eugene Victor Debs, the railroad workers union leader, who was the Socialist Party's great organizer and presidential candidate in the first decades of the 20th century, has been my hero since I was a young man. When I took to heart his message that the very moment a working man begins to do his own thinking, he understands the paramount issue, parts company with the capitalist politician, and falls in line with his own class on the political battlefield. 
I'd say that's pretty important. That is very important. I mean, I was actually enjoying in the chat where we were seeing, you know, our certain anti-capitalist friends um, talking about a workers co-op situation. And for, honestly, for something like the railroad, the fact that it is uh, for profit and private is absurd to me. It's absurd. The to me that nothing could fall under the whole concept of interstate commerce more than railway. So I the whole I, I think this is just crazy, and I do think that the workers should own the means of production, and I think the railroad would be a really good place to have that. What about if the railroad workers own the railroads? Well, as Deb said, he was a fervent believer in grassroots democracy and was opposed to authoritarianism and the cult of personnel. I would not be a Moses to lead you into the promised land because if I could lead you into it, someone else could lead you out of it. I share his view. Real change comes only from the bottom up when thousands, then hundreds of thousands, and then millions of people stand together and demand a better deal. Never from the top down, elected officials should stand in solidarity with workers and do everything they can to empower them, not lead them. That's my mission. I embrace it with relish. Do you like relish on your hookah? No. Well, it's not for everybody. It is not. Understood. I'm a purist. Hmm. Well, Democrats should have learned their lesson, but there is very little evidence that they did. And yet you still affiliate and you still support Joe and now you support Pete. So well, I, I, you know. Joe, it, I have to keep up appearances. Do you mind? No, I do mind, actually. Too many of them still do not understand that the policies of a party that is supposed to stand for workers must actually do so when it's in power. No, they only get loud when they're in the minority party. That's a Democrat MO. More than any other occurrence in modern American history, the COVID-19 pandemic exposed the ugliness of modern American uber capitalism. While billionaires and CEOs are safely at home on their yachts or in their private planes and corporate profits soared, millions of working class Americans had no choice but to go to work in hospitals, schools, grocery stores, warehouses, and meatpacking plants. Millions of them are essential of essential. These essential workers got sick. Tens of thousands of them died unnecessarily. We were reminded that like the kings and queens of past eras, the very rich know nothing about how most people live, could not care less about real people, and firmly believe they have a divine right to rule. What do you think? You're pontificating. I can tell you as a United States Senator that the issue of inequality rarely, if ever, gets sufficient attention on the floors of Congress. While we are very good at renaming post offices and acknowledging Super Bowl winners, we don't often get around to discussing the reality that after adjusting for inflation, the average worker in America is making roughly $43 a week less today than she made 50 years ago. Uh -huh. Think about that. Think about the huge increases in worker productivity that we have seen in the past five decades. Think about the fact that in 1981, when I became the mayor of Burlington, Vermont, the largest city in my state, we didn't have one computer in City Hall. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have email. We didn't have printers. The same reality existed for all intents and purposes in every workplace in America. With more efficient machinery, the development of the internet and digital communications, automation, robotics, 
and artificial intelligence, the American economy has become dramatically more productive and the average American worker produces more than ever before. So what does that tell you? Are you talking to me? Are you talking to me? I don't see anybody else sitting here. Yeah, you would definitely be convincing people of that reality. Of what reality? What reality are which we speaking? Well, I'm not going to read the whole article, I'm but I think you guys right now. definitely get the idea of just how important it is that it, yes, is what Bernie, is what Bernie has written important? Yes, it is important, but it's not going to change anything. Writing strongly worded letters, that doesn't I... change anything. So <laughs> it's good for a day. As our friends who are here said, you, you have to be willing to take on the machine head on and be willing to potentially lose your job. Yes. And here's anything. the thing that's so frustrating to me about this, okay? I look at people like the people that, the, you know, railroad workers and, and working people that are just, you know, that are organizing and just trying to, you know, get some sort of justice, you know? And these are people that will eventually have to sacrifice their livelihoods to go on a strike to actually stand up for themselves. And then I look at people like in Congress, and they're not even willing to take a chance on losing their high paying job to just do their job. And it's very frustrating to me. It's, 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 so we have people that are going to eventually have to risk their livelihood to protect their livelihood. And the people whose livelihood it is to protect their livelihood are too busy keeping their own job to actually do it. Yeah. It's crazy. Cause if those people were actually doing their job, then the people, the railroad workers wouldn't need to be putting their own, you know, livelihoods on the line. It would just be if the people were doing the job. So the people have to it's unite. It's crazy. And so when people are fighting amongst each other constantly over stupid nonsense, oh. you know, and I saw. This is why I don't know what mainstream people talk about. I don't watch your news. Like I've been watching what's going on in East Palestine. So when things come up that are like pop culture things, like, you know, like that, I have no idea. I, I, I just don't. So we're going to close with this because obviously it was in the title and we will address it. There was an anti-war rage against the war machine rally in Washington, D.C. yesterday. Uh, here's what I will say. Uh, there did we were, really talk uh, about this? No. I feel like we did. No. Okay. So there were a number of really great speakers, particularly Dennis Kucinich, who I think if you guys are going to listen, if you haven't listened to any of the coverage from the Rage Against the War Machine rally in D.C. Um, if there's one person who I would recommend listening to, listen to the, I guess, 10-minute speech that Dennis Kucinich gave. It was really great. If you're having uh, to prioritize who yeah. to listen to, that, that would be Peter's recommendation. He really hit uh, the right notes. I thought that, well, again, the last three speakers were Dennis Kucinich, Tulsi Gabbard, and Ron Paul. And... All three respectable to me. In terms of their message. Now, obviously, we have strong disagreements with the likes of Ron Paul and Tulsi Gabbard. But, but I, ha well, you know what, though? I have a lot of respect for Ron Paul. Yeah. I used to have a lot more respect for Tulsi 
Um, you know, she had courage at a time when people didn't, I, I respect that. But since then, I just feel like she's just not somebody that I would really see a lot of things, you know, eye to eye with, but I have a lot of respect for Ron Paul. Yeah. I do for, yeah. for, you know, and I don't agree with him on a lot of things. Again, when Ron, unfortunately at the end of the speech was drifting into austerity territory, again, you know, you could say what you want about whether or not right. you agree with MMT. One thing I can assure you that is different is micro versus macro economics and the ability to actually print money and curtail inflation as a result. And we should look into having um, Clint come on and talk when we have Steve come on. And I just kind of want to sit there with some popcorn and watch that. Thank you, Dirtbag. Uh, obviously, I, I actually did not. He, I, I know Roger Waters was, he was like the last last, but his was a recorded. Absolutely double K. Uh, I don't, I don't, I yeah. mean, he and I disagree on a lot of politics. Yeah. I just, I have respect for him and, and, and that he, and they were never corporate and, sellouts. Yeah, and, and there's just, there's that, Yeah, that's, things. and that's, you know, that's kind of like the thing with Thomas Massey. You know, you have these representatives that from just, from a logistics perspective, they really believe in this idea of austerity, that there is a limit to resources, not a finite uh, amount of resources, and that you have to conserve. I'd actually argue we've already taken more than our fair share. Oh, we certainly have. Uh, but I would definitely say that there were some key people that spoke. Uh, there, the message that was there, uh, Negrani, uh, I actually, uh, I, I didn't see all of it. I actually did not see Chris Hedges' speech. Chris Hedges has been a guest on our podcast before. He is- I mean, an, obviously we're big fans. Yeah, exceptional, <laughs> like he's, exceptional. Yeah, uh, he's, the, he's the real deal. <clears throat> but, I, but I have to say that there are certain people that were involved in this event. And I don't have a problem with the Libertarian Party being involved. They have been very consistent about- an anti-war message. They have been very consistent about, you know, knowing that when it comes to how we spend money in this country, that we spend way, way, way too much on the military-industrial complex, much less the wars. The problem is that there are people who lead this effort, who want to be at the forefront, who want the microphone when it is really not their place to have it. Or they're just not, they're not a person that is going to best serve the mission in general in terms of coalition building. And it's more about their ego and their vanity project than it actually is about serving the mission. And to me, some of those types of people, it's clear. I know it isn't so clear to some, to a lot of people, which is why a lot of people have followings that they have. But um, <clears throat> I don't, not affiliate with things to spite people because I just don't. If I'm going to like something, I'm going to like it. I don't, if somebody's with it, I'll still support it if I think it's a good plan. Um, but I still think that marketing matters when you're trying to make a movement bigger and bigger. And when you put toxic type of people as speakers, it isn't about whether or not they're part of a group. You know, anybody could join. Like, that's what I'm thinking. It's like, it's not about who wants to support it. I'll support mission, but I don't know. I feel like you should put your best foot forward when you have speakers should have the broadest reach and not be and be the least toxic representation. And not only that, if you're going to have certain people basically be the lead organizers, if you will, that, you know, already come with a heavy amount of baggage that are going to turn off a considerable amount of people. 
I guarantee you, I if the, the lead organizers were just simply the Libertarian Party, I am gonna, I've said this before, I will say it again. No one in their right mind should ever take the movement for a People's Party seriously. And there are many reasons not to take them seriously. We've had shows about this. We've spoken with people that were like in that and the higher up of that. And so this is something we've covered. We don't need to like, you know, rehash it. But that's not that's not a serious political party. It's just not. And for those who spoke at this particular event and felt that the effective way to deal with the fact that there were organizers that dropped out, there were a lot of people supposedly going to show up, didn't show up that the proper response to that is to attack them for not agreeing with your standards is tantamount for failure. They promoted this thing very hard for a long time. This was going on for several months. They had ample opportunity to promote this, especially not just in DC, but in Southern Maryland, Northern Virginia, West Virginia, they had an opportunity to bring in a lot of people. There was about a thousand people that showed up. If your intention, and, and a thousand people is not anything to sneeze at. It, it's a decent- For there, it's not a bit, like I'm just, for that, for that locale, for the level of speakers, for this, like for what this event was, it a thousand is not that much. That's what I, like proportionate to what this kind of could have been, right. I think. And what a lot of people don't understand, and Negrani, the, the message is fine. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. No, 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 no. I'm, we're all about the anti-war. If I lived near there, I would have gone. Yeah. Like I if I gone. lived near there and I was in driving distance to that, I would have gone. I, I am not averse to anti-war rallies. I've been to quite a few. I'm all about that. What we're saying is, is that when you put certain people as spokespeople, and actually Metalopoly, I wasn't talking about Jimmy. I wasn't. I know who I'm talking about. And I know who I think he's talking about, but it isn't Jimmy. Um, but th the point is, like, I will affiliate with something if I agree with it, period. It doesn't matter if there's people that are with that. I don't I don't have to like everybody. We're saying that <clears throat> the best way to serve a mission is to not necessarily use people that alienate a lot of people. Yeah. And as spokespeople. And also give That's credit. Neoliberal tears give credit. Uh, Jill Stein. Say what you want about her. She has been a very consistent, active anti-war voice. I voted for her. A very long time. That was my and choice so in 16. that 16. was the, uh, well, in Florida, it doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter anyway, because uh, there was no but, universe. But in, in just, uh, no, I, I, I've said, We've talked we've had, about this. We've had Nick Brana on the podcast. Yeah, we've just talked about it. We just don't feel the need to keep like hashing it and giving it like, you know, airtime. But no, we've talked about it. This is not a secret. But you have to remember that if, if those individuals want to show up, if they want to support the cause, there is nothing wrong with that. They should support the cause. This is my point. That's all. Nick Brana was the MC for this event. That's just toxic. Are you, are you trying to succeed or are you trying to fail like there and say, see, see, they didn't want to help us because of so-and-so? If he really cared, if the organizers, if mm. the speakers, if their intent is to see this succeed, you see, people are not fools. Tulsi's not a fool. 
Jill Stein's not a fool. No. Dennis Kucinich is not a fool. Ron Paul's not Ron a fool. Paul is, Ron Paul is definitely not a fool. You can say whatever you want. But if the goal of this event is to attract a real anti-war movement. And build. But then again, and here's what I find interesting. So this is sort of, and I didn't think of this before, but remember when they did the movement, the launch for the movement for the People's Party? And it was amazing speakers, and it was Corn OS and Chris Hedges and Nina Turner, and it was it was amazing. And then nothing happened, and it wasn't like it nothing happened. It went nowhere. And and we've covered as to why. We've had a whole show, we've talked about this. But why would you think that the same people that had a rally that led to nowhere would be the best group of people to be leading another rally. And off-rail, like, I don't get this it. is why Medea Benjamin is an OG. She is a legitimate. She still showed up at this event, even though she didn't speak, because she cares about the mission. The mission is more important to Medea than the politics, even though people play politics. But there's enough people in Code Pink who recognize that there are certain people that if you lock arms with them, it's not a question of whether they agree that there should be an anti-war movement. We all agree. It's about knowing that this person is going to actually hurt the movement because the person who's on the fence about whether they want to get involved or not sees that person there. They're like, I'm out. Right. It's not like people are drawn in by it. It's sort of like how we feel about our congresswoman. You know, you've fixed the audience. It's fixed. You're not bringing in, you're not winning over new people with certain people. You're just not. And Medea is the real deal. Like know her personally, love her. She is the real deal. So if she's at odds I'm going to say nine out of 10 times, I would think I'd probably be wherever she is. Like, like that's probably the more, the more moral position, shall we say. So whoever she's at odds with, I, I'm going with her. That's what I say. And, you know, as we've stated, anyone who is new to our podcast, and we're obviously grateful for a lot of you who have joined us tonight, uh, you know, I'm anti-war because I know that war is a racket. Medea has been on the show. It's been a really, really long time. And yeah, you know what? We, we, should, we need to get her back on. Yeah. Um, the truth is, is that Medea is always gone. She really is. She's, and, and when I say gone, I mean like somewhere in the mountains of Peru, you know, Bolivia. Like she's really out there or, you know, somewhere in the Middle East. Like Medea is, she's very, very busy. Like it's truthfully. Idea, you know, Medea has done such amazing stuff to really bring so many of us together. I had the opportunity to meet Julian Assange's father and brother as a result of Medea. Well, this and, is what happened. I mean, what we've had, I was reached out, like um, Julian Assange's brother reached out to me at one point after we did our Assange live stream and we ended up hosting a local event um, for Gabriel and John Shipton. That's his brother and his father. And Medea was so generous and so kind as to arrange for us to be able to use where she lives, which is this amazing little like farm co-op place in the middle of Miami. It's very cool. And there's, and there's space and it's just, and, and so, and also she provided accommodations for Gabriel and John while they were in town. And it was just really cool. Jack. And I feel like, well, I, I mean, this is where I feel like a good catalyst when I, am I able to bring together people like, you know, the Shiftons and Medea. Jessica, you're, you're, you're complaining to the wrong people. We support the anti-war movement. Yeah, we also, yeah, 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 yeah. We also understand what it takes to build a coalition. Again, I would have gone. I wouldn't have cared who was talking. I wouldn't have like cut my nose to spite my face. I am a body that would be happy to stand out anti-war. I don't care. If you can't see that there are certain people that were involved in this who, even if they were there, who cares if they're there? 
They have every right to be there. They should be supporting the cause. But if people can't see that there are certain individuals that had no business getting on that microphone and sure as hell had no business running the event, I don't know what to tell you. If you have a thousand people there, that's nice. We're just talking it's strategy. It's not changing anything. If 10,000 people were there, then people would be talking because it would have filled the whole mall. It would have backed up all the way to the Washington Monument and people would have noticed that. And they would have been say, like, what, what, what's going on here? What's well, the all these truth people is with doing these things, here? size matters. And and I really do. I think- totally had the biggest crowd. I had the biggest <laughs> yeah, crowd you've ever seen. Believe me. So, you know, but, you know, when when I hear somebody talk like Medea, that holds a lot more weight and a lot more credibility. And it brings in a lot more, you know, I'd say coalition building. Like it just lends itself better to that than certain people. And again, it wouldn't doesn't affect me. I'm caring about the anti-war movement. I don't care if it's Jimmy and Nick and whatever. I don't care. They could talk forever. It doesn't matter. What I'm saying is, is I don't think as far as the movement in its best interest of bringing in people and being, you know, progressing forward, that those people, that that's the best way to go with that. That's all we're saying. Yeah. I support it either way. We're not the audience that has to be sold. I'm already anti-war. You don't need to reach me. I'm already with you. Yeah. But the people that you do have to reach are not are somewhat sometimes turned off by certain things. And again, when you have somebody who organized something that went to nowhere, why would you want them to organize something else? It doesn't make sense. People saw that the People's Party is what it is. And they know that that's not something that's going to materialize. No. So if that's the case, and we understand that it doesn't matter, for example, if you're in the Libertarian Party, the Green Party, the Forward Party, all these things don't matter unless you change the electoral infrastructure in right. this country. If you don't have right choice voting, it's never going to change never the fact change. that the two major parties, which fight tooth and nail to stop things like real infrastructural change, like right choice voting, that we're going to be stuck with the same problem. If the goal is to have uh, an anti-war party, uh, you know, we're, we're never going to be able to have the movement get to the point where it's actually a threat. Because, yes, you could say whatever you want about how there are people on the left who do take things and do say things in bad faith. They do. But remember, there's also a lot of gatekeepers out there. We're not trying to gatekeep here. We're trying to help. We're trying to show you that there is a way to do this to actually be effective. Those who say, oh, well, I can't I can't be affiliated with those people. What, what, what does that serve? And anyone who talks that way? Yes, you should be suspicious of them. I am. But let's be honest about what. No, I'll take. affiliate with anybody. I have people know that I'll talk to anybody. I'll affiliate with anybody. I'm on my mission, and if my mission and your mission cross paths, then we'll be affiliating. It doesn't really matter to me if we agree on ever, on anything else. So I'll affiliate with anybody. We're just talking strategy ideas in terms of how to really better the, the mission in general. I'm sorry you feel that way, neoliberal. That's fine, and I'm definitely not scolding you. Not but, him. He doesn't think you're scolding him. He thinks you're scolding them. Like you're just oh. being critical and scolding them. Yeah. We're not, I'm, well, yeah, I'm not. I'm not Hey, scolding. he doesn't like me because clearly he didn't hear me say that. Yes, no, I he would too. He would have gone too. Are you kidding? Yeah. I'd be there in a second. Yeah, I would have gone. If there was something, if I would totally go. I go when they're here. It's just, there's certain things. However, in May, I am traveling to DC to go to the, oh yeah, you're going to go. Yeah. Um, well, you know, so um, we're going to uh, May 3rd 
There will be a march, a protest for Julian Assange. It's International Press Freedom Day. So there's going to be events all around the world on that day. Is that Tuesday or Wednesday? I want to say it's a Tuesday. What's the day? Is it second or third? It's a third. Then that's Wednesday. Wednesday. Okay. okay. So, um, yeah, so we'll be there at that. I think this, you know, say what you will about marches or rallies. I think this one's really important. It's going to be in front of the Justice Department. Um, and I, I think that enough's enough with this. This is just crazy. And we, we haven't had an opportunity um, really since the extradition. I mean, and now you have Merrick Garland there, who I do believe is somewhat reasonable, which is infinitely better than what we could have done in the last well, I don't administration. Know about that. I guess you haven't been paying attention no, to what Merrick's I, been up to. Lately. No, I don't even. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it sucks. It sucks. But so we will be there. We will be in DC on May 3rd at the um, rally for Assange. It's the Assange defense that is putting it on. Exactly. Um, so yeah. Correct. That's the point. So we will be there for that. Uh, hoping a lot of, and we saw that, um, Matthew Ho is going to be there. I'm working on Katie to come. I'm going to try to, you know, have a, no, we'll have a bunch of people probably in the new in DC. Yeah. That'd be good. Uh, so with that we have said, to stop this Assange thing, yeah. like we have to stop this That's Assange thing. Step. Like it's just, it, it's just, Smash that like button, subscribe, share, do all those wonderful things that we are so grateful that you all do. If you are going to tune in on Wednesday night, we yes, are going Katie to have Harper. a uh, post-Canadelic uh, uh, Miami event. Uh, lots of great people, incredible people who are involved in the cannabis movement, uh, civil liberties, small business entrepreneurs. It's going to be we're, really Yeah, we're, I'm having a Canadelic reunion for anybody who does, who's new that I doesn't realize that a couple of weekends ago I had the pleasure of going to Canadelic Miami and um, spending a couple of days down there. And it was just really fun and, you know, met some really cool people. And the whole industry is just another, oper- another example of the oligarchy crushing the small entrepreneurs in oh, yes. the industry. So it's it's really more the same um, with just uh, cannabis. One of many things that we support <clears throat> that seem to cross a lot of, uh, you know, political affiliations. So with that said, we appreciate each and every one of you who came on this evening. It really means a lot. You may be a small but mighty channel. Every step matters. Tonight we had a pretty decent crowd, got up to about 50 <clears throat> live viewers, which is great. And guys, I'm still so. looking for Gen Zers. If you know someone who's a Gen Zer who's interested in being part of like regular panel discussions on the show. and um, Gen Z for change. Gen Z, well, yeah. Well, no, it's the Gen Z report. The Gen Z report with a J. Right. Gen yeah. Z for change is an organization. So, well... Yes. You meant the Gen Z report. But guys, so yes. if you know a Gen if you know a Gen Zer who's interested in talking about these issues and would want to be a regular guest on our show, have them send an email, generationalchange at gmail.com. Mario wants to know where you can get oh, the best. Oh my goodness. This one was a gift Steve? from um no, it was from Eric um Kessner. Kessner. Oh, the, but he's a friend of like okay. he's with the real progressives. Uh the reason that and I love my best, Peter has one. I don't. Yes, you do. It's down there somewhere. Yes, because we have two vests. Oh, right. He just doesn't wear his as much as I do. No, I secretly hate work. He secretly hates labor. Um, These were gifts, but the reason that people have them, for anybody who doesn't know, in France and why they were able to have the yellow vest movement was in France, these yellow vests, well, they don't have these logos on them, but yellow vests come in their cars, like as part of a car safety type of thing. 
So that it was something that all people or a lot of people had access to, to be able to put on a unified sort of symbol. So that's why they were, that's why they used the yellow vests. Here's hoping from your lips to the spirit's ears. Yes, we had a consistent number tonight, which would be great. Hopefully, Canadelic will do the same. And a lot of it has to do with because what else is going and what else is going on that yeah, night. What's going on? You know, if other people are going live at the same time we are, that are bigger crowd. I mean, you know, we have overlap. That's just the way it is. But again, we, we're a podcast. We do the best we can. We're glad you. We we're are not very just a YouTube glad show. And grateful that you guys were here. Hope you enjoyed. Smash the like button. And again. don't forget, next week Subscribe. I don't have the book with me. It's called "Inequality Kills Us All" with Dr. Stephen uh, Bajuka. That's March. Bajuka. Guys, bazooka. No, it's not bazooka. But we're going to talk about um, health inequality and how that, of course, was has been exacerbated by COVID. But it'll be a really interesting conversation. I am reading the book. I don't have it here right now to hold it up. So next Monday we'll have that. We'll see you Wednesday. Thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.